the Cornerstone Sermon Discussion Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into the previous week's sermon and explore some thoughts and ideas that we didn't have time for in the sermon. My name is Jamie Wellman, one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And I'm Steve Mentor, and I'm one of the pastoral candidates here at Cornerstone. And if you haven't heard the sermon that we're going to be discussing yet, you can find that on cornerstonepickwood.org forward slash resources. Today we'll be discussing the sermon entitled Jesus First at Home. We looked at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, looking at, more specifically, putting Jesus first in the marriage. Pray that it is helpful. Well, Steve, how you been, man? We're a week, what, five, six of this uh, stupid quarantine. How's things been going? Oh, things are, things are good. Um... I have lots of time to mow my grass and, and do things like that. I'm not allowed to do anything else. So, you know, just keeping up with stuff around the house and, you know, playing with kids and that kind of stuff. So what, what about you guys? Well, my son and I, Micah is 16, and he and I finally started digging into, we have uh, an MGA. Actually, we have two, well, one and a half MGAs, and uh, Micah and I just recently started digging into the restoring of a 1958 MGA. We have a body, two chassis, a couple engines, and uh, yesterday... A couple engines. I didn't realize you had more than one. Two engines. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, we, yesterday we, we spent a good part of the day uh, tearing into getting one engine off of the chassis, and so we've been tooling on it and having just a great time. Honestly, it's just been it's just been a delight. I, I don't know a lot about cars, uh, and I'm learning a lot as I go, but I just love getting my hands dirty and I love you know it's one of those things where it's like if you work with your mind you kind of sabbath with your hands and uh I really when I'm done doing a job like that or just working hard outside or working on you know a car or something you just come away with a sense of like accomplishment you work with your hands like it's your job to work with your hands do you do you find the opposite true or do you you do you sabbath doing physical things as well Oh, it depends on the physical thing. I like, I, I really enjoy like mowing the grass. I mean, I, I'll get on the mower typically. Well, you have a riding lawn mower. <laughs> yes, but you, you don't want to push my yard. No. Um, no. And uh, so I'll get on the mower. But when I, when I get on the mower, I put my earbuds in and I've got a book playing. You know, I just, yeah. I just finished uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, and, which is a fascinating fascinating book it's not a monster book as a lot of people would would think it is it's not it's it asks a lot of interesting questions about um man's relationship to god i think and 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 it's a to me i don't i I guess i need to read a little bit more on mary shelley i know a little bit about who mary shelley was and the death of her mother and uh she was uh connected with uh jean jacques rousseau great public intellectual um who was very secular hated god um and and to me reading this book or listening to this book i should say um seems like she's wrestling with a lot of questions of god responsibility to me as a creature is to make me happy is a claim in there. Hmm. And, and so it's, it's kind of wrestling with a lot of those things. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I found it very fascinating. So it's not about this green guy with like these, uh, like corks coming out of his neck who, who like puts his arms out and walks and moans and chases people down. N- no, what? No, 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 there, there is some of, some of that actually for most of the book, he's the one being chased. Oh, you know, but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting 
interesting look at humanity. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, so that's that's kind of how I Sabbath. I I just put my earbuds in and I listen to stuff. And so I also have a car that I need to be tearing into. Yes, you do. And I have started tearing into it, but it would be nice to have a 16-year-old son who together we could go out and work on it. It's my great. 4-year-old son comes out and about 5 minutes later he's gone and bored. And yeah. so I'm sitting there or he doesn't go away, and I love I love Waylon, but sometimes I wish he would because what this do? What this do? What this do? What uh-huh. that for? What that? For? Like, can can I just yeah. worry about what I'm working on over here? Yeah, uh, man, it's <laughs> it's amazing having teenagers. Mm-hmm. I've always said I I love every season my kids have been in, um, and even for when they were you know newborns to my oldest is sixteen, seventeen, actually. And uh, it is, I, I just love having teenagers. It's just so fun. You know, some people talk about wine, about having teenagers. I, honestly, I've loved it. And the Lord has blessed Sarah and I with just great kids. And that's, you know, that's, that, I'm sure that makes, makes a huge difference. Well, what we're talking about today is, it's kind of uh, apropos to what we were just talking about, putting Jesus first at home. And uh, it was a fitting Fitting message, I think, because we're confined to our homes. We don't have a choice but to be at You home. had better be putting Jesus first in your home, <laughs> or you are ready to kill your, kill each other. <laughs> or, and yourself. Yes, yes. that's right. Yeah, there'll be All mass of the murders. above. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so putting Jesus first, we looked at, it's going to be, Lord willing, a three-part uh, message, because we're just working our way through the book of Colossians, and uh, the backside of Chapter 3, Paul begins to deal with the practical implications of the preeminence of Christ. So Jesus first in all of life, and how Jesus first in all of life comes from Jesus first in the home. And so we looked at marriage this week. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, we will look at putting Jesus first in parenting. We'll look at children obeying their parents and rearing children. Uh, we'll look after that at uh, putting Jesus fir- first at work. And so that's where it's kind of, that's how it's teed up. But uh, today we looked at uh, putting Jesus first in marriage. And so we looked at um, the purpose of marriage, that God had created marriage for a purpose. The marriage is not actually a societal institution. It, it is a theological institution. God created marriage. It was God himself who presided over the very first marriage. So marriage is God's idea. Mm-hmm. And in order for marriage to actually work the way it should work, we have to go back to what God created it to do. And so that's one of the points I made today, which was to show that marriage is about the gospel, that this is something that Paul picks up on in Ephesians chapter 5 and showing the relationship between marriage and the gospel. And then we kind of dug a little bit deeper into verse 18 and 19, where we looked at the role of, of a woman in marriage, the wife in marriage, and the role of the husband in marriage. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. And then Paul directs his attention to the husband, saying, husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. So we looked at that. And then the last thing I, I did, love to know your thoughts on this, because um, really debated whether or not to do this or not, um, because it's not in it's not in the text. I had mm-hmm. to bring another text in, but I wanted to talk about singleness. Uh, singles, at least to my experience, don't get a lot of airtime when it comes to uh, talking about matters in the home. Mm-hmm. And uh, we live in a day in which 
less and less people are getting married and people who are getting married are getting married much later in life. Yep. And that means that there's more single people in general. That means that there's likely more single people in the church. And so I wanted to say a few things about uh, from Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, verse four, sorry, uh, where the writer of Hebrews says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And I took that to mean every person, every person from a child, as much as they're able to, to a single person, to a married person, we need to hold marriage in honor. So we looked at singleness. So what, I, what I'd like to hear from you, Steve, is, is kind of your thoughts on the message, your thoughts on this text, and just kind of how you and your family have been processing these, these points. Starting with uh, thoughts on the text, um, I, I, I did think it was interesting. When we started reading, you didn't start reading with verse 18, this, this imperative statement the statement of telling us what what to do, okay? It was, you started with verse 17. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, and and that, is the, that is the context into which uh, Paul goes into wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. You do not be harsh with them. And then as we'll look at next week, children obey your parents in, the, in everything, um, for this pleases the Lord. And, and it, it, fathers do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. And you know, this, this continuing, this, so he, he's starting about whatever you do in word or in deed. Okay, so in word or in deed. Let's take those two concepts and bring them into wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So how does that, how does... Wives, submit to your husbands. What does the submission of wives look like in word or in deed? You know, there is there is an action um, of submitting, but there's also a, a way that wives submit in in the in the the words that they speak. Hmm. Um, but then another thing I was thinking was um, husbands love your wives. That's not just telling your wife, "Hey, I love you." But that's you're you're not just telling your wife that you love her, you're showing your wife that you love her. Yeah. And part of the way you show that your wife that you love her is do not be harsh with her. And uh, so, so we're, we're he's saying whatever you do in word or in deed, submit, love, don't be harsh, as is fitting to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know. And then he says do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus. So I think this goes back to what we were talking about last time. Is Which when we, we talked about, um, you preached in, in Hebrews, and it was uh, about endurance. And, and kind of the, the topic of discussion came up about um, having an eternal perspective. Keeping, and, and I think that's how do wives rightly submit to their husbands it's it's the the key part is there as is fitting to the Lord and doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him, right? So. What what you mentioned at the beginning, as we're as we're going into this was. We need to understand these things from, the fact that God created marriage. For, our good, but predominantly for His glory. Yeah. Everything that God is doing is for His own name's sake. 
you know, if you just do a word study or a phrase study, I guess it would be on that phrase for my own name, for my namesake or for his namesake through the Old Testament. So many things that God does, the way God gives the law, the way God brings the people out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land and the way that God takes care of his people and destroys nations and raises other up other nations. Everything is for his namesake. We can assume because that is the, the theme of scripture that all of this is for God's glory, that marriage is for God's glory. So what you're saying is marriage is not really about having lots of sex and having a, a friend live with you and someone to make your food for you and someone to pay the bills for you. No, <laughs> because if you get married, you'll figure out that some or all of those things aren't exactly true when you're actually married. Oh, okay. So um, those are those are are good things, but what marriage is about is service. Hmm. You know, be, it, it's do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so what what was Jesus's instructions? to his followers before he leaves. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. was washing the feet of the disciples, telling them to be servants of others. Yeah. That's, that's how we, we do things as Jesus did them, is to be a servant. Mm-hmm. So wives serving their husbands, that's not an oppressive thing. That's not a, that's not a negative thing. That's wives loving their husbands as Christ loves them. And husbands loving their wives. Well, if you go to Ephesians, how does Paul describe the love that a, a husband has for a wife? Is laying down his life for her. That's it's it's a self sacrificial thing. It's not. Um, it's not you. I'm going to do this so I can. So then you will then reciprocate by doing this for me. It's not like you mentioned it in your sermon. It's, it's not a transactional thing. Yeah. Whether that be on the on the 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 wife saying, well, if if you do these things like you're supposed to do, then then maybe you get some later. Kind of a thing. <laughs> like that's yeah. if if you're a wife and you're withholding and you're 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 holding up sex as a, a thing that. You're going to get what you want so that he can get what he wants. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's abusive. Mm. You it's know? transactional. That's transactional. It's that's, a business. That's misusing. That yeah. That's not what sex is for. Yeah. You know? And if it's a husband, I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to do so my wife stays happy with me. That That's not how you're supposed to. You're going to, you should, as a husband, you should be serving and loving your wife regardless of whether she's responding and, and fulfilling her responsibilities. We sometimes talk about marriage in, in, in the sense of it, it being a covenant. And mm-hmm. the difference between a, a, a covenant and a contract is everything you've just been saying. In a contract, you know, in the old days, you used to sign contracts to get cell phones. And that meant that I'm signing a contract, two-year, three-year, whatever it is, just to commit to you know, Verizon or Sprint or whomever, that I'm going to pay this bill for this service for these many months in exchange for this phone and this service. And it's a contract. And the contract is there basically to protect both parties because it's saying to you know the, your carrier, your cell phone carrier, that if I just neglect to pay my bill, you're going to shut my service off 
and you're gonna charge me for this phone. And it goes the other way too. Like if um, you know you stop working, you, your towers stop working, then I don't have to pay my bill. So that's a contract. It's built to protect both parties um, from a, from the abuse of the other. One person not doing their part in this agreement. But a covenant is so different, and a covenant is all over the Bible. Covenant language is the language of marriage. It's this till death do you part that. I will commit myself to you regardless in sickness or in health, in richness and in poverty. Um, You're saying to this person, I'm committing to you to do what God is asking of me, what I'm committing to God to do for you, regardless of whether or not you do your end of the deal. So these these two parties working in conjunction together is sometimes called complementarianism, which is a big word. What, what does complementarianism mean? Complementarian basically means, I mean, you, the, it, the, the prefix of that word is complement. So, so these are two, you have, you have, we believe that, that gender and sex, the, the, the sex of a person, the gender of a person, those two things are not separable. We, we don't believe that you can have a biological sex and then a a, gen- a gender identity that is separate from that. I'm we triggered. Believe- I'm triggered. M- m- maybe so. <laughs> this is this is me not caring. Um, <laughs> so so we believe that that God in His wise and perfect will determined at the creation of the world, and you see this. He he, he did this before before He created men and women. He created male and female. Because he created male and female animals. And then he starts, Adam's naming the animals, and God says, we need, Adam needs a helper fit for him. And so he creates woman. So, so there is, you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, and you see a distinction of roles, not a distinction of, of value, not a distinction of, um, the image of God is the same on both men and women, but they do have distinct roles. But those roles complement each other. Um, and so basically, that's basically what complementarianism means. It means that God designed male and female, men and women, with distinct but complementary traits for raising of kids. So... I don't play with my kids the same way my wife plays with my kids. I don't, when I think about parenting and the way I'm going to roughhouse with kids or or, or the way I'm going to treat different situations, my wife and I are going to come at that from different angles because we're we're biologically and psychologically different. And that's, that's how God created it to be. Obviously, my wife is a lot more nurturing than I am. When my kid falls and, and scrapes her knee, my wife is going to be more tender and, oh, well, let's, let's fix it. And, and, and I'm going to be like, all right, brush it off, rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, there's a difference there. But that doesn't mean one is bad or, or, or one is better, than, more, more better. One is, is more beneficial than the other. Kids need both. Yeah. You know, and, and, 
if you if you start reading some of the some of the psychological data on kids growing up, kids need roughhouse, but kids also need nurturing, and you're you're only going to get that from a, a father and a mother, and that's that's the way God designed the home to be. Those things complement each other. Yeah, earlier you had mentioned that the purpose of all, God doing everything is to bring glory to Himself, and marriage is no different. Marriage is meant mm-hmm. for the glory of God, and. Uh, Marriage is that complementary relationship where um, the the husband relies on the wife and the wife relies on the husband in order for the both to to accomplish what it is that the Lord has given them to do. And this is this is a, a rather foreign idea to outside the church. Like you're not going to get this kind. Of, what you just said, you're just not going to get that mm-hmm. for the the purpose that God created it in. You know, a secular you know, academia or secular book. Um, and so because there is so many, so much misunderstanding of what these things are, um, our church has official positions on, on these things. We, our church has a, uh, what we call a book of faith in order. And, uh, we, we, we put it together and hashed it out over a year ago. And, um, in, in the book of faith in order, we, we just kind of touch on the various different subjects that we feel are important to be stated as to what our church believes about these certain things, marriage and sexuality being obviously incorporated into that. And so why don't you take, um, this is part two of the book of faith and order. This is, this is chapter eight or verse, this is a paragraph 18. Uh, why don't you read this? This is our church's official position on marriage and sexuality. Our Book of Faith and Order, chapter 2, paragraph 18, Marriage and Sexuality says this. Marriage involves the covenant union of one man and one woman in permanent sacred fidelity. Sexual intimacy is only properly exercised and pursued within the confines of a marital relationship. Sexual immorality, as defined as any sexual activity outside of the boundaries of sacred marriage, of the sacred marital relationship between one man and one woman is clearly and expressly prohibited by the Lord. All forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, fornication, homosexual behavior, bisexual behavior, bestiality, incest, pornography, or even lustful intent towards such is sinful. Since the body is creation of God, gender is biologically determined and associated, and the associated gender norms are to be observed appropriately in biblical standards. And there are, there are, we have in here, if you look at the, uh, um, the, the book of faith and order, we have, um, the passages that go along with these. Yeah, this is, um, this, this would be rather controversial, uh, to someone outside the church. This is, Mm -hmm. I would consider what, what you just read to be the orthodox position of the Christian church since there was a Christian church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not novel. It's not new. Uh, we didn't make any of this up. In fact, we borrowed a lot of this from a document that's 500 years old. Mm-hmm. And it borrowed it from the kind of understood idea about these matters in its own day from, from, from generations and centuries before. So this isn't new. But within the last 50 years... Even within the last 10 years, probably even within the last two years, maybe five years, there has been dramatic shifts in our 
Western culture's understanding of gender, Western culture's understanding of sexuality, and uh, this, this, what you just read would be rather offensive to them. Um, but nevertheless, it is the official position of the Christian church, we, as far as we understand it, which comes from Scripture. Mm-hmm. So how might, you, um, how might you talk to somebody who says that gender is fluid? The, I'll probably give them a book that I'm, I'm currently reading. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a book called uh, Gender Ideology. And it's just looking at the, the genesis of this gender ideology that we find ourselves hearing about. And the... I would... You, we would have to go back to... Um, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, um, and see God's good design. We believe that, that Scripture is our ultimate authority. And so Scripture teaches that God designed it to be a specific way. And we as the creature, we can't just change that. We can't just overturn that because I feel like something... In, in my head, I feel... Like I'm not in the right body, right? So that that would, and then you have this this idea of gender fluidity, or or not, or or, or somewhere within the the non-binary. You know, outside of the past five to ten years, nobody would even know what those terms mean. Mm-hmm. It would be foreign to people to 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 hear somebody talk about oh gender, talk about gender fluidity or cisgendered or. Um, or somebody being uh, a non-binary, that wouldn't make any sense. Well, all of a sudden, these these concepts are expect are, are supposed to be the 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 expected social norm. Like this is the way it's always been, but it, but it's not. These things are very very new, and there's no scientific data to prove prove otherwise. So how would you talk to somebody who somebody who is experienced gender dysphoria? And that would that's that's a long discussion. You have to be very careful in the way you talk to them. You don't want to condemn them. Um, yeah, I, I think it's important in that discussion. I, I appreciate you saying that. In that, in recognizing that, um, it is true that non-binary language around gender uh, is a rather new thing. But you know, it's not a new thing. Is the feeling that something's wrong, something's mm-hmm. off. That's not new. Certainly, since uh, since sin, since sin has entered the world, uh, our understanding of sexuality and our understanding of of gender is affected. Everything was affected by the fall, and there are going to be those. I have to assume that uh, it's been this way for for a very very long time, who grow up with a sense that they feel uncomfortable in their own body, and I think part of that probably comes from society imposing upon them some non-biblical uh, standards of masculinity and femininity. You know, in that a, a woman, in order to be feminine, needs to look a certain way uh, or, or something like that. Or uh, to, in order to be a man, you have to be into certain, you have to be into fixing cars or, you know, whatever, drinking lots of beer, spitting really far and being gruff. Uh, those, those are not necessarily masculine traits. And to impose those on people 
would then add an additional unnecessary kind of weight. And so then they would kind of kind of bristle against that maybe. So I think it's important what you just said is to recognize I don't I don't think it's good for us to dismiss it and just say that can't that does you feel that way is wrong. Mm-hmm. How you feel is how you feel. But what is different now is that uh, our culture is now telling everyone, explaining to everyone how you feel determines how you are. And that's mm-hmm. that's a new thing, isn't it? That we're saying to people, you determine your identity based upon, not not even based upon what your father did, what your grandfather did, what your parents, your mother did, uh, not based upon what God has placed upon you to do and to be. Y- you determine who you are. That's a rather new thing. Yes and no. I mean, it, it's, I think, it, honestly, I was, <laughs> I was reading, because I've, I've been reading this, this book on gender ideology uh, at, during lunch when I'm at work. And uh, so I'll sit there, I'll be at my lunch, I'll be reading this book. And honestly, to me, it seems very um, uh, dualistic. You have this, you have the, the, the realm of the physical, and then you have the realm of the, the mental or spiritual. And, and so we used to be, they would say that anything physical is bad, anything spiritual is good. So that, but we're still kind of using those same categories. So it's the mental. What, what you think in your head is the right thing. And what what your what the physical stuff you you have to make all the physical stuff line up with what's in your head. It's it's a very old idea, just a new ideation of of it. I think honestly, mm-hmm. I mean I, I don't necessarily have the 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 studies to, or, and I'm not a psychologist, but as as a layman, I'm looking back at this thing, and I I understand dualism a little bit, and I understand some of these things a little bit, and I've been reading about gender ideology from people who do know. And this is that's just the way I, I wrap my mind around it. It's it's kind of the same old same old thing. This dualistic, you have the the bad physical and the good mental spiritual whatever, and so we have to make the physical line up with our mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's how does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I and I think it's an important point to make too that somebody who's is working through. Um, uh, gender issues, feeling out of out of their own skin, kind of like my skin isn't right to me. I think it's important to recognize that that's an opportunity for the gospel, mm-hmm. because in a sense, before Jesus, you're not supposed to feel a part in your skin, and, and even after Jesus, there's elements of our life that are off, that we're wrong, and that we have been affected by sin. But the hope of the gospel is, is that when you come to Christ, you receive the new man. You become a new person. So this sense in which I don't feel right in my own skin is a way for God to help us to see you're not meant to. Because of the effect of sin in your life, sins that have been committed against you, sins that you've committed yourself, you're not meant to feel at home in, in this body. And there is there is that sense in which uh, you're supposed to feel this way, and it's ca- it, it is to cause you to turn away and to turn to Jesus, where you will find healing, where you will find hope. And for some people, God is kind to help them feel at home in the gender that they were born into. For other people, they may never have that feeling, but that doesn't change anything. It doesn't change their responsibility before the Lord. 
Now, I know a lot of the things that we we're talking about here are controversial. I wanted to read the second, the next paragraph in our book of faith and order about gender complementarity in that these genders that God has created, they are meant to complement one another. Um, and th- this, is what, this is what our book of faith and order, uh, this outreads. Men and women are created by God equal in essence, dignity, and value. Men and women serve complementary roles and responsibilities in the home and in the church. God ordains that they assume distinctive roles which reflect the loving relationship between Christ and the church. That's what you were saying earlier. The husband exercising headship in a way that displays the caring, sacrificial love of Christ, and the wife submitting to her husband in a way that models the love of the church for her Lord. In the ministry of the church, both men and women are encouraged to serve in the ministry of the people of God. The distinctive role of church leadership is given to qualified men. Now, I have sitting in front of me some objections, okay? Some of them are probably going off of people's heads as they're listening to this now. This, what we've been talking about right now, all this gender stuff, all of this, we got about 10 minutes, Steve. So I'm going to give you three, three objections that um, you're just going to hear in talking about these things. One objection that you're going to hear um, is when we're talking about male headship in the home, isn't this an outdated form of what's it called when like men are more patriarchy? Important? Yeah, like isn't this just an outdated patriarchy? And isn't this oppressive to women? And isn't doesn't it just doesn't it also give an an excuse for men to abuse their wives? No. <laughs> All right. Next objection. <laughs> so it, the the reason the reason I say that is because what is the context? This is what we, we talked about at the very beginning. What is the context into which this discussion is placed? It is the, – the context is whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the context, the, the idea of, of husbands being the head of their home, wives submitting to their husbands, all this, the context of that from Scripture – is bringing glory to God and, and doing things and, and following this example of Christ. So Christ's headship is anything but oppressive. Us submitting to our, our Lord, us submitting to Christ as believers, as the church, the church is described as the bride of Christ. So as the church, the us submitting to Christ in no way promotes Christ's oppression of us because he, he's not going to oppress us. Mm. Like, and that's the picture that marriage is supposed to supposed to portray, right? Mm-hmm. So, I I think if you go back to to Genesis chapter three, whenever I think about gender roles and and whenever I think about um, this, these topics, I go straight back to Genesis chapter three, and I think about what it, what it, you have in, in Genesis chapter three, the story of the fall, which you have Eve, she's there, and the 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 serpent is talking to her. He he deceives her, which Paul later on makes a point about in some of his writings. It's very interesting if you if you just go look at that. Um, and and that's one of the reasons why Paul Paul talks about proper church leadership. 
Um, but so so she's deceived. She eats the she eats the the fruit, and it says she gives it to her husband who was with her. So right there, you see a problem. Problem number one is he's being passive. So he's he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's not being the one who stands in the gap. He's not being the one who who um, who defends his wife and cares for her soul. He's allowing her to be deceived by the serpent, who had said at the very beginning of the chapter is the most cunning of all the creatures. And then when they go and they hide themselves, first thing he does is God God comes to, comes to them. He finds them in the cool of the garden, or he finds them in the garden. They're hiding behind a tree. I mean, this is the guy who created the tree. You think you're going to hide behind it? I, not likely. So, so God finds them hiding, hiding behind the tree. They've sewn fig leaves together to, to, to cover themselves. And he says, what have you done? So first thing he does is he says, it's her fault. So he just, um, so that's, you see him, him being passive and he's been passing the blame. Well, then when Paul, when God talks to, to Eve, she kicks the blame on down the road to the serpent. And, but then God's giving out the, 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 the result of their action. And he says, he tells Eve that, he tells Adam, you're going to have to work hard in the, in, in the, in the fields and you have to, to grow crops. And you're, this is, you're seeing the gender roles there within the curses. But he tells, he tells Eve um, that you're in pain, you're going to bring forth children. And he, then she, he also tells her that her desire shall be for her husband, in some translations what it says, but in, uh, in the ESV, and I, I do think it's an actual, it's a good translation, it says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, yet he shall rule over you. So in that, you see the potential of harshness by the husband, that he can rule over you. You know, there's, there's a, you can, as a, as a husband, you can be a good leader in your home, or you can be a harsh leader in your home. We've already seen Adam be passive, but now we can see that Adam has the potential to be harsh in this rule. This how what does that ruling actually look like in the real world? We're in a fallen world now, um, and then he says, "But he says your your desire should be contrary to your husband." So there's there's in in that language, it's the same language that God uses when he's talking to to uh, to Cain, and he says, "Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to have you." You know, so there's this. There's, uh, it seems like there's a battle going on. There's going to be a battle. And what do we see in marriages? You see, you see harsh husbands trying to dominate their wives, or you see wives trying to, to fix their husband. And so that's, that's all a picture right there in Genesis chapter 3. And, but that's all the result of the fall. That's not God's good design. But now that we have Christ, we're in Christ we can start moving back towards that original design within marriage where everything where, where marriage brings glory to god so you're saying that if if marriages are working the way that god has designed them to work it's not oppressive to women it doesn't give an excuse to men because the men who are abusing and the men who are oppressing women are not actually doing it biblically they're doing it out of step with the bible so the men who are walking out in their marriage in a biblical way they're actually, they're not oppressing their wives. They're, they're encouraging their wives. They're building her up. They're nourishing her and they're cherishing her, like Paul says in Ephesians 5. And they're being gentle with her and caring for her. Um, it's, it's interesting. 
if you look at the, the, the they've done surveys in the number one indicator of a of a woman who is who feels loved and cared for across society the number one indicator is a husband who is in church every single sunday that be, men who are who are dedicated to scripture who are in church who are trying to do it biblically they have head, they're 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 fulfilling these gender roles but they're 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 not likely they're the least likely men in the country to abuse their wives. Okay, I get that. I get, I get what you're saying, that if men do the right thing biblically, women are cared for. But doesn't the Bible say in Galatians that there is neither male nor female? We're, you're talking about these kind of distinctions in marriage. But Paul wrote Galatians chapter 3 as well as Ephesians 5. So didn't Paul also say that there is no male, there is no female, Let's start. Let's look at uh, the context of this. So, starting in verse twenty-six, it says, "For in Christ Jesus, you were sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ." So, the context of the statement, the context of there is no male or female, is it doesn't have anything to do with gender roles specifically. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is union with Christ. So I am united with Christ through faith, salvifically, in the same way that my wife is united with Christ, salvifically. So that's what what this is talking about. This is talking about in salvation. He's not going into a discussion of... um, uh, gender roles specifically. He's going, this is a discussion about union with Christ. So there it's, if someone were to use this Galatians uh, chapter three, verse 28 as a, as an argument against um, gender roles, proper gender distinction and complementarianism, there. They're taking this verse out of context to do that, which is improper use of scripture. So then the last objection is having to do with a cultural thing. So Paul mentioning husbands leading in their home, wives submitting to their husbands. Isn't this a cultural thing that was particular to Paul's day and that he needed to address in the church in Ephesus and the church at Colossae? I don't, I don't think so because... You, you see the—I uh, I keep going back to Genesis. We go all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture, and you see gender roles. You see God giving man a particular particular job, and you, got, you see God giving woman a particular job within marriage, within society. So, so this is—so when you're talking about Adam and Eve, you're talking pre-culture. These are the, the, the original human beings. So— I don't. I don't think it's it's a it's a cultural thing. What honestly, why would it have changed? What 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 has changed in the nature of humanity between Paul's day and our day that all of a sudden these things wouldn't apply? Right, right. This was uh, a universal 
a universal concept that Paul was having to address the, the way that sin plays out in the, in the relationship of marriage. Marriage is a big subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have gone on and on and on. We're already over 40 minutes, and, and we've barely scratched the surface here. Um, I want to do two things before we wrap up. First thing is I want to say um, there, there may be some people listening to this who um, are in marriages that are difficult, that are filled with either the passivity that you had mentioned or the abusiveness that Paul addresses in Colossians. Um, and if, if that's you if, you, if you're listening in and you're in a marriage that is uh, abusive and you're being oppressed, um, there, is, there is a tremendous amount of help for you if you need it. Uh, you can reach out to myself. You can reach out to Steve. I know he'd be happy to take your call. Um, Pastor Brent, I'm sure, would be uh, more than willing to talk with you. Um, some, some of your sisters in the Lord would be willing to talk with you. Uh, we have things in place that we want to be able to minister to those who are stuck in situations. Uh, there, should, there is no excuse for any man to be abusive to a woman. The Bible does not condone that, uh, and complementarianism does not feel it. Complementarianism, as you mentioned earlier, if anything, um, sucks the life out of abuse. It takes it away, and um, it provides joy, it provides peace, it provides selflessness. Uh, just like we see in the gospel. And the last thing is, uh, this is such a major subject. If you have any questions or if you have any comments that you would like to, uh, to, to bring to us, uh, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. You can always reach out uh, to myself at Pastor Jamie at cornerstonepickwood.org or info at cornerstonepickwood.org uh, and, and, and get a hold of us there. And if you don't have a home church... Um, we gather every Sunday morning at 10.30. We would love to see you here. There, You can find directions on our website. Again, that is cornerstonepickwood.org. Um, and we hope you guys have a great week. Grace and peace. Try not to lose my weight.